Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. First, this is episode 297 of this podcast, which means my 300th episode is coming up really soon. I'm celebrating it with a live show on Friday, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, presented by Amarillo National Bank and Texas Tech Physicians Pediatrics. The show starts at 7 p.m. the night of the first Friday Art Walk at the newly renovated Arts in the Sunset. Tickets for the show are $24.99. You can find those at heyamarillo.live, and it includes not just attendance at the show, but bar service for my friends at Sips and Giggles. They'll be serving beer, wine, and a specialty hay margarita. That's all included with your ticket. And if you listen to this podcast, I want you to come to the show. I want you to be in the audience. I want to meet you. The live episode recording will include former guests, longtime listeners like you, and a special mystery interview guest who I know you're going to want to hear from. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to this. Reserve your tickets now at heyamarillo.live. That's the 300th episode Hey Amarillo Live show presented by Amarillo National Bank and Texas Tech Physicians Pediatrics. Go to heyamarillo.live for tickets. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Nail Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Krauss Landscape Contractors online at krauslandscape.com and to Foundation Repair Contractor Legacy Support Works online at legacysupportworks.com. Today's guest is Dr. Shannon Herrick. Shannon is one of those people who has a lot of titles. She's a longtime Amarillo pediatrician. She's an associate professor at Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center here in Amarillo, and she's been chair of pediatrics at Texas Tech since 2019. And I wanted to have her on the show for a couple of reasons. First, I'm a parent, and a lot of my listeners are parents, and I know how important it is to find the right pediatrician. It's just something families think about all the time. I wanted to hear from somebody on the other side of that. Uh, secondly, the last couple of years have been really interesting for parents and children in the healthcare world because of COVID, because of remote schooling, because of vaccine hesitancy and everything else. And so I wanted to hear from Shannon about that. So we talk about those things, we talk about a lot more, uh, including how she balances her medical practice with the educational and administrative stuff. So this is a good one. Here's Shannon Herrick. Dr. Shannon Herrick, welcome to the Hamrella podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you. I know that I've I've spoken to doctors before. I've actually spoken to your husband on the show. So uh, I'm I'm eager to talk to you. And I want to start with you the same way that I start with all my guests and just ask why you're here. So what brought you to Amarillo in the first place? So my husband uh, brought me to Amarillo. I am a Texas native, but I grew up in San Antonio. Okay. And uh, did all of my schooling there. Um, So went there through high school. And then went to Texas A&M University for undergraduate. And then I went to medical school at UT Southwestern um, in Dallas. And at UT Southwestern is actually where I met my husband. Um, so not, we both are Aggies and both went to A&M together okay. at the same time, but did not meet each other the whole time well, we were crazy, at that's crazy, a campus of 50,000 people. You yes. didn't run into each other. <laughs> right, exactly. So we did not meet, um, and he wound up living with two of my med school classmates in Dallas And so we met my third year of medical school. Okay. We started dating then and uh, and eventually got married my intern year of my residency and eventually moved here to Amarillo. Okay. So I I know that there's always some uncertainty when you're in medical school 
um, where you might end up as a doctor doing your residency or, or anything like that. But I also know that your husband was from here and had family business here. Like, did, did you talk about, hey, someday we might be back in Amarillo? Or was that on your radar or did that just sort of happen? It was not on my radar at all. Okay. Um, I really thought we would live in a bigger city, honestly, originally. So uh, when we started dating, he was kind of a world traveler. I mean, my fourth year of medical school, he lived in Amsterdam, and I was doing schooling in Dallas um, and started even my internship um, in Dallas while he was still living overseas. So we actively were talking about where we were going to wind up, but Amarillo still really was not at all on my radar. Uh, the first time I ever came to Amarillo, I thought it smelled like a zoo. <laughs> and I was like, what, what is this place? Um, come on the right day. That's, that's not too far uh, off. True. Um, and so, um, obviously I've learned a whole lot more about Amarillo since then. Um, but it wasn't until really I had done two years of residency in Dallas. Um, and my husband, Jason had moved back to Amarillo and we were doing long distance the whole time. Okay. So I was in Dallas and he was living here in Amarillo that we very vigorously were talking about, okay, we're going to be moving to Amarillo. Okay. And so interestingly enough, I did my third year of residency um, at the program here at Texas Tech uh, University Health Science Center, which is the department that I'm now the chairman of. Yeah. And so it's really interesting. It kind of came full circle. We talked quite a bit about Amarillo. I didn't really know what to expect. I grew up in a big city mm-hmm. um, and then lived in a big city in Dallas as well. And so really thought Amarillo was tiny. It's not, uh, but thought so when I, before I moved here. Did you have a perspective on it? When you were growing up in San Antonio, like, was it on your radar at all? No. I mean, it was a place that we heard about at, on the news that it snowed. Okay. <laughs> in Texas. The one place in Texas. In one snowed. place in Texas that it snowed. Really, that's that's the only um, perspective I had. And then funny story, when I was in uh, medical school, of course, we were traveling. I was traveling with my med school classmates to go skiing mm-hmm. in Colorado. And there was a big snowstorm. And we got stuck in Claude. Had to sleep on the floor of a church, okay, and uh, and then drove through Amarillo, and so if only you'd uh, gotten just another thirty miles right, further, right? Right, that was my first perspective of Amarillo, um, and actually had a classmate in med school that was from Canyon, and so uh, we visited his family one time in Canyon, and that was about the only time I'd ever been to Amarillo area okay. before I moved here. Can you talk a little bit about the difference having grown up in San Antonio? which is very much Texas, and Amarillo is very much Texas, but they're different places. Can you talk about some of the things that are maybe a little bit different, just in terms of the culture and the community? Sure. I would say uh, a couple things. I mean, one, it's very humid in San Antonio, and it is very dry. Different climate. Here. So climate was very different. Um, I had never really been around snow at all until I moved here, and I'd not been around wind. Like it Hmm. is, you know, it's not windy down there. And it rains a whole lot more down in San Antonio than it does here. Um, so definitely um, there's there's those differences. But, man, the sunshine here is amazing. Hmm. And the sunsets are amazing here. And I didn't have any known, you know, I didn't know sunsets at all when I was uh, in San Antonio because I lived in a subdivision with lots of houses and not— And lots of trees, And too. lots of trees. So um, so it's that from that aspect, it was very different. I would say from from the standpoint of just things to do, and when I lived in San Antonio, it was not as big as it is now. You know, I go back there now. My brother still lives there, and 
it's the traffic is terrible and it's huge. But we had fun things to do there. I mean, there was SeaWorld and Fiesta Texas and those sorts of things. And of course, everybody talks about the Riverwalk. But when you live in San Antonio, you don't go to the Riverwalk. Exactly. <laughs> so you don't go down there very much. I mean, I think it was when we had people visit. So that was a little bit for, for sure different. Uh, and then, you know, but I, I will say that in San Antonio, even though it was so much bigger, I didn't. I didn't know people as well as I know them here. Okay. I would say that the people here were just more engaging and friendly. I mean, I think I lived in the same house my entire childhood and knew some of my neighbors, but did not know all of my neighbors. And um, I think here you, it's easier to mm -hmm. meet people around you. I always wonder if, you know, when there's that, that difference in culture and community, if it has to do with the size of where you are or if there's something different, you know, about the area or the region or the people there. Maybe it's hard to to quantify that at all. Right, right. It is It is different. I mean, there's obviously a lot of diversity um, down in San Antonio. I think um, I got exposed a lot to the great Hispanic population mm -hmm. and some of their, the culture that they brought to San Antonio, which um, the ballet folklorico and all of those yeah, sorts of sure. things that we got to enjoy were down there. And um, that diversity here is very, is very different. I mean, I love that especially in my line of work, I mean, I get to deal with a lot of the refugee populations in some different areas that I wasn't exposed to at all down there. So different, okay. um, for sure. Tell me, you know, since you were sort of drawn here uh, and, and your first work here was with Texas Tech um, University Health Sciences Center, tell me how that has sort of changed. Because uh, I, I know that it's it, it feels like it's been here forever, but like it has been evolving just like everything mm -hmm. else has. So when you arrived here, like what's kind of different now about um, sure about the the breadth of what's available? Right, there's a vast difference of when I came in as a as a resident. There were four re pediatric residents, and I'm I'm a pediatrician, so there are four um, pediatric residents per year in my program. Mm -hmm. Now we've grown to seven seven residents per year. So just in in the span of you know 15, 20 years. Um, it's grown that much, but also just the depth of, um, we have a lot more general pediatricians that work there. We have a lot more specialists that work there and we now take care of all the inpatient. So, um, both hospitals, uh, we do some inpatient work. Um, we do the newborn nursery at Northwest Texas hospital. Um, I help staff the intensive care units at okay. Northwest Texas hospital. So all the intensivists in the NICU and the PICU at Northwest are, um, physicians from Texas Tech. So, and I have a vision for a lot more growth. So, sure. but it's yeah. but it's grown a lot um, in the last fifteen years. One of the questions that I always have, and I'm I'm asking this question, kind of thinking of listeners who um, maybe they have a, a pediatrician, and so there's a there's a lot of pediatricians in Amarillo, and so they they know that point of contact with the medical community. They know Northwest and BSA are the mm -hmm. big hospitals. But then they may not know like where to fit Texas Tech within that community. And I wonder if you could talk about that, the role that it plays. And, you know, obviously there's an educational role that's not going to hit everybody else in the community, but you're a pediatrician and you see patients. So so tell me sort of how that works and how Texas Tech fits within all of that. Sure. So I think there's the, it's sort of twofold. I mean, I'll, I'll touch first just as a general pediatrician, because that's what I mm -hmm. am. I think that, you know, it's important that, that we provide sort of that foundation at tech for, for the community. Um, a lot of times we have these outside doctors in the small towns that will consult us for sort of our expertise in, in pediatric care. Mm -hmm. So if they are not sure if we have a family medicine doctor in a small town that needs some help, we're, we're happy to help. Okay. Um, and it gives sort of a, 
a point of contact for them to call us and sort of ask us to do some consults on on their patients. Um, we also provide a large array of specialty care. And um, I think that we we haven't really let the community know how important that is. You know, um, we have two pediatric cardiologists. We have endocrinologists, oncologists, neurologists, um, a nephrologist, a kidney specialist, all for children here. Okay. And so those are sort of the, the specialists um, that are available to the pediatricians and to the family medicine doctors and the advanced practitioners that work with them, you know, to, do, to refer um, to get that specialty care. Uh, because of the size of Amarillo, we don't have every specialist um, which I would love at some yeah. point, but it's hard on families to go away. Um, I have three children and and two of them have specialists that aren't in Amarillo. And so finding the time to go to Lubbock or Dallas to go see a specialist with a busy work schedule is challenging. Um, I mean, it takes, you got to take off work and, and go there and come back. And so um, we're trying to to really bolster that specialty support for children in Amarillo so that parents don't have to travel so far. And that same thing we think of about having to travel, like that's the reality for all of the small towns in the Texas panhandle who are coming to Amarillo. You know, they're coming for some sort of specialty here. Uh, And so that that sort of happens, I guess, wherever you live. You're going to, unless you're in a, you know, a a center like Dallas that has a lot. Right. The other component that, that is really important is we do have a pediatric residency program here. And so we train 21 residents total. Um, every three years, we graduate seven of them. And um, the residency program has really been a conduit to keep physicians in Amarillo. And several physicians, they were not from Amarillo when they came in and okay. started their residency program. Um, we trained them, and then they began to love Amarillo and decided to stay. And so um, several of the pediatricians in this community now were trained in our program, um, and we actually just... Last week, we did the ribbon cutting for a new clinic that we opened on the southwest side of town right. that had two physicians that we trained. Okay. And so several of our specialists went and did their fellowship outside of Amarillo and then came decided to come back okay. and, and, and work here um, for their career, which is great. I've had conversations with a couple of people, most recently an attorney who said that you know, there's some concern that a lot of like young attorneys are not coming to Amarillo mm-hmm. to start their practices. Is that something that's a little bit different in the medical community about drawing young doctors here because of Texas Tech? Like, is Texas Tech able to be a conduit for a lot of that? Mm-hmm. They they are, and so I think that that's been, and, and that's for all the residency programs at Texas right. Tech, not not just, just pediatrics. pediatrics. Yes, and so it has provided opportunities for for physicians to stay in the community um, versus having to you know, try to recruit in. Um, I don't know if if the community has recruited in like a, a pediatrician in several years okay. that was not trained in our program. And so so we definitely think that that's, that's an important piece. Did you always want to go into pediatrics? Like when you knew, okay, my path is going to be through medical school. Right. Did you know that from the beginning or did you sort of find your way into that? I kind of found my way into it. So when I went into medical school, um, I thought I wanted to do dermatology um, or uh, OB-GYN. Okay. And, uh, and then when I started really working um, in, you know, medical school, you get to do all the different, different types of specialties. And um, immediately when I did pediatrics, I was like, oh dear, like this is, this might be it. Yeah. Um, and so I compared dermatology and, and pediatrics back to back, did rotations there and immediately knew that pediatrics was my calling. Um, was that because of 
the patience or is that because of some of the challenges? I think both. Um, I love the patient population. Um, Dermatology is a very different population of patients. It is. And and part of the dermatology interest was I worked for a dermatologist all four years in in medical school and um, had had a close relationship with a doctor in San Antonio that allowed me to work in his office. And so that was really what spurred on that interest. And then as soon as I started doing pediatrics, it was like, no, 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 this is it. So I love every every range of children. Um, I particularly love babies um, and, and toddlers, but I also have a heart for special needs children. Hmm. And so when I was in residency, I found that I really loved complex care. So I liked the challenging cases. So children with tracheostomies and and gastrostomy tubes and different syndromes. I like to have to figure out the puzzle and really help those families. I thought I wanted to be an intensivist and then found that my heart was too soft for that. And so I was going to cry all the time if if I was an intensivist. So I decided that the special needs complex care patients were a perfect fit for me. And that's something else that I think at Texas Tech we help provide because those patients take a little bit longer to take care of, you know, Mm -hmm. and just is a little bit more time intensive. Um, You have to do a little bit more reading and and, and really looking into what those patients need. And so we've partnered with specialists in these other big communities to take care of these patients um, so they don't have to go as often to see because there's specialists it's an ongoing sort of care and so there's not like i'm gonna go for a couple months to dallas you know to get this treatment because that treatment is almost never finished in a lot of cases right agreed so you got to figure out a way to make it work while they still live here yes so we've got you know pulmonologists on you know on on speed dial on our cell phones so we can call them and sort of say hey we've got one of your patients in our clinic partner with us to figure out what we need to do for this patient so they don't have to travel to mm-hmm. Dallas. And that has worked really, really well. And uh, and I have, <laughs> as of now, I have loved my career and I love seeing patients. I mean, it's just something fun that I enjoy doing. I want to ask you this because you're the first pediatrician I've interviewed for the show. Is there a connection between you as a mom and as a pediatrician? Like, does, does being a mom inform your work or does being a pediatrician inform how you parent, you know, young children, because, you know, I I think there's a lot of a lot of, let's say, a young mother who might feel more comfortable with you than she would with a 50 or 60 year old man who's been a pediatrician for 40 years, but, you know, may not understand everything that she's going through. So I think definitely kind of goes both ways. You know, I think as a pediatrician, I you know, I was a pediatrician first before I became a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as I became a mom, I realized that some of the advice I was giving as a pediatrician was not great. <laughs> this um, is what they've all been telling yes, me. Yes, yes. So, you know, I think telling a mom if a baby cries just to let the baby cry and you can handle it. I mean, then you have a baby in your home crying and you realize I need to give different advice um, mm-hmm. because it's very hard to listen to a baby cry and just ignore it. And so I think that I've, I've utilized a lot of my parenting experience, you know, potty training. I have three children. Each one was different. Um, You know, I now have two teenagers in my house. I mean, learning how I parent my teenagers, I can use those skills to then inform my parents. Because a lot of pediatrics is teaching Mm -hmm. and partnering with parents on on that teaching. And so um, I will say on the flip side, you know, I think obviously being a pediatrician um, and then being a parent, I can obviously use my medical background to know what I should worry about and what right. not to worry about when my kids are sick. I think that sometimes we worry more 
because we think that they have something You're very obscure. To, yeah. <laughs> and we realize, no, no, it's just a normal general virus. It's not something horrible that our child has. And so, um, but we're kind of more attuned, obviously, to, okay. to knowing what to look for. Do you do you find yourself handling a lot of stuff in house as opposed to calling an outside pediatrician to to give a second opinion on what you're seeing with your kids? Yes, I never treat my children like with antibiotics and sure, those sorts of things. Sure. And so, but um, but yes, I mean, I very much will be. Oh, you know, if my daughter has a sore throat, oh, it's just a virus, and my family will be like, "Isn't it strep throat? Shouldn't you treat this?" Or and I'm like, "No, no, it's fine. It's got X, you know, these mm-hmm. things that I'm looking at." And so. Um, yes, we definitely, uh, I definitely am a little bit more conservative in, in managing my kids and in, in, in the sense of um, I let it run its course before okay. I get too anxious about it. <laughs> Tell me, I, one of the things that I'm interested in is what your, your day-to-day looks like in that, you know, you, you have the practical patient-seeing side, you know, with a, a, a pediatrics practice, but you're also... You've got a management component to what you do. There's an educational component, you know, with the residents. What does your week or your day look like? How do you balance all those different things? So it's pretty challenging. So four years ago, I took over as the chairman of the department, which is really exciting because I've been part of the program for almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I know the ins and outs of like every aspect of the residency program and, and just the practice. And so... But it's challenging. So I usually, in, in a in a typical work week, um, I have clinic about half the time. Okay. Um, and the other half of the time is administrative time. So in my clinic time, I usually will have a couple of half days of my own clinic. Now, during those times, I see my own patients, right. but I'm assigned residents and students that will work with me um, during those half days. Um, and so what typically happens is I will send a student or resident in with my patient, they get to do the history, the physical, and, mm-hmm. and do all those sorts of things. Then I go in and repeat the exact same yeah. thing. You know, I verify the history, I do the physical exam, um, and then decide what the management is going to be. Um, during that time, though, I'm also teaching. You know, I'll show an unusual finding, maybe that the student didn't find, um, and then be educating the families as well. And I think the families do a beautiful job of partnering with us. They don't seem mm-hmm. to be concerned that. They're having to, you know, see students or residents with us um, as long as they get to see me at some yeah, point, yeah. you know. Well, and so families get really attached to their pediatrician. Yes. They don't want to just change to somebody new because Agreed. you've taken a different job, right? right? Agreed. Agreed. And so we've really tried to balance, tried to balance that. Um, and then one day a week, I have something called continuity clinic um, where I have four residents that I supervise and they have their own panel of patients. And so I can supervise anywhere from 20 to 30 patients in an afternoon that they're seeing, and then I'm going in. So that day is kind of crazy. Okay. I'm, I'm usually running around the clinic um, from room to room, um, talking to families and, and helping. So, but I love it because that's, I mean, I enjoy teaching quite a bit. So in the administrative time, I mean, I'm working with my administrator on the budget, on the operations of both the specialty clinics and the general pediatric clinic for Two years, I've been working on the operational side of opening this new clinic that we just opened um, over on Hillside and Bell. That was challenging. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was working with architects, figuring out the, you know, how I wanted the layout of the clinic and what the decorations were going to be and the flooring and the wall color and all of those sorts of things. Um, and then also, um, I have to deal with 
any of the issues that my faculty are having. Sure. You know, so if somebody's having issues getting getting physicians in a different community to respond or, you know, are we having any issues at the hospital, any of those things, then it comes to me. And I usually will help them sort of try to navigate what needs to be done. Is that something that you saw yourself kind of moving toward at any point? I mean, when you when you thought, okay, I'm going to become a pediatrician, did you ever think I also might you know be in this position where I'm overseeing this entire thing? No, not really. Um, I, I would say that that's been the beauty of my career in Amarillo is it's afforded me lots of opportunities that I don't think I would have had in a in a larger academic setting, you know, center in like in Dallas. Because for six years prior to becoming the chair, I was the bro- program director for the residency. Okay. Um, and so I've just sort of stepwise gotten into more advanced leadership roles while working at Texas Tech. But in the beginning, no, I mean, I worked part-time, I enjoyed my babies, mm-hmm. I saw patients, you know, I worked 65% of, um, of a full-time employee and and didn't really ever sort of see myself as, as going to be the chair of the department. But through the years and with experience, I mean, it's just been sort of a natural fit for me to move into these different roles. From an administrative standpoint, tell me about you know, the the process and, and maybe the strategy of opening up the new pediatrics clinic in Southwest Amarillo. Like when you think, okay, we need to do something like this that maybe improves accessibility or allows you to meet the needs of more children. Like what was the strategy, you know, what was Texas Tech looking at when thinking, okay, this is what we need to do now? So I think that, you know, we actually started this process about three years ago of, of really sort of looking at how do we expand access to Amarillo pediatric patients, you know, and also how do we become more accessible to patients from Canyon or from mm-hmm. some of these smaller towns? And we've always so, sort of always been centralized in, you know, at the main health science center on culture. Um, And honestly, I I went down and and explored the campus down in Lubbock, and they have several sort of freestanding offsite clinics for pediatrics Mm -hmm. in different parts of town. And that sort of spurred on like, hmm, maybe we need to be thinking about expanding that access. Um, And in that time, um, we've had a couple of pediatricians in the community that were well-loved and respected that have retired. And so we also felt that there was sort of this need, you know, um, that some of the practices are having a hard time bringing in new pediatricians and we, we have that conduit. And so let's, let's try something different and and do an offsite clinic that's beautiful and brand new Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and, and provide that access to other patients. Is there a difference in how the patients or their families maybe look at going to an offsite clinic like like yours that's maybe in a, a more casual environment let's say than going on to the uh, health sciences center campus which has these big imposing buildings and stuff like does it feel different for it, moms and dads and kids i think so i mean the yes i mean i think that you're right i mean you know the the main campus is a five story building a huge parking lot we now have the vet school which is amazing but it's a big campus and so sometimes that can be intimidating mm-hmm. to families um and also it's just a big practice, you know, I mean, yeah. when you sit in two waiting rooms at the main campus, there's eight physicians that are seeing patients at the same time. So those waiting rooms are packed. Yeah, it's like being in the hospital emergency room. Kind of. I mean, not it's not always ideal right. with a bunch of sick kids. Right. And, and so, and we have a well waiting room and a sick, but it's still, yeah. it's a, it's a lot and can be overwhelming. And so um, by providing this new clinic, I mean, it's a lot smaller, but there are 10 exam rooms and just two physicians there. And so um, we felt like that would, you know, give families an opportunity to, to really 
partner with those physicians and, and feel like it's mm-hmm. their medical home. Do you feel like that's maybe the first of, of multiple clinics? Like, is, is that something that you're looking at as, okay, this is a model. We're going to see if this works in Southwest Amarillo. Now maybe we, we look at another city in the Texas panhandle or we look at another part of town. Is, is that part of the mindset? I think so. You know, I think we're always sort of envisioning like what else could we do? And so I think partnering with some of these smaller towns, we've even thought about Canyon, you know, mm-hmm. the OB just put a brand new clinic, right. you know, partnering with them and doing a, a, a pediatric clinic right next to the OB clinic. Um, but, but looking at some of these smaller towns, I also would love to see um, in the future sort of a specialty building. I have a, a vision of, of having sort of all of our pediatric specialists housed in a freestanding building that then we partner with those physicians and from Lubbock or Dallas okay. and maybe have those physicians come in and partner with us and have day clinics, you know, that they're only there for, you know, one day a week, but they have a place to see patients. I, I wanted to ask uh, about the last three years as a pediatrician, because a lot of the stories we've been hearing about going through the pandemic and all that stuff, you know, are focused on adults. Uh, and how they've dealt with it. But like, I, I feel like children's medicine had to have changed a lot too, especially with kids being for so long in remote learning. So they were not exposed to a bunch of other kids and all those, you know, the the runny noses and stuff <laughs> that they would have gotten. Um, but then also the the components of, of their parents dealing stuff. Like, what did you see that was different as a pediatrician during COVID and, and sort of the fallout from that? So thankfully, children did not get as sick as adults with with the COVID infection. So I will say that that was sort of the positive um, of, you know, when we were right in the in the height of everything, um, children were doing remarkably well with this illness. And so that was a blessing. It has been really interesting to see sort of the hesitancy with medicine, I think, mm-hmm. um, that we have seen as a result of COVID. Um, we've had a lot of families that are very anxious to vaccinate now, and that was never yeah. really a thing. Right. Um, or, or to have sort of any medical care of their children. Um, we see the flip side of it in the newborn nursery where we have families that, you know, don't want anything done to their to their infants. And so that's been challenging as a pediatrician. We've had to do a lot more just education and partnership with families for them to trust us again. Mm-hmm. I think that there's just been some... Uh, leeriness of that physicians have something out, you know, that we're hiding something. Um, And for us, specifically in pediatrics, I mean, vaccinations have been sort of the forefront of how we protect our children, unrelated to the COVID vaccine, right? Right. right. Um, But it's a byproduct of the response to that that has made it complicated. Agreed. And so we've had a lot of families that have just not wanted to vaccinate at all. And we're we're seeing a a resurgence of some of these um, illnesses that have not been in the United States at all. And so, you know, um, it's been a great learning experience for us as physicians, Mm -hmm. plus trying to teach our residents and medical students to be able to handle that. But it's also challenging. I mean, I I would say as a physician... It was it's very hard to to not feel trust from your patients. Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, and so and it's not because of something you did personally. It's like the entire industry all of a sudden uh, agreed. And so um, I will say during the pandemic, I mean, physicians in general, but I mean, me personally, I mean, I had a hard time with sort of navigating uh, this new feeling I was having that that I wasn't trusted by my patients and and um, and wanted to feel that support in a in a time where 
especially in the beginning, we didn't know what was going on. Yeah. And so I was fearful for my family and bringing home something and all of those things when we were, you know, when everybody was at home, you know, I mean, I was going to work every day. And so, uh, you know, just trying to make sure my family was safe um, was a big part of it too. And so um, thankfully we're kind of out, out of that, but we're still seeing sort of the lingering effects of the pandemic mm-hmm. of just families um, still being kind of uncertain. As an educator and, and working with your students, like what are some ways that you talk about communicating about those things like vaccines? Because obviously you're going to want to try to convince a hesitant, you know, mother or father that this is what science says. This is what, you know, all this um, education says. But like that's a communications issue. That's not necessarily here's a here's a book that, ex, you know, explains it all. So how do you deal with that? And have you found a way for it to be like effective? I mean, can you get through to them? So sometimes you can. I think I, I, what I tell medical students and residents all the time is communication is key. You have to understand where that family is coming from. So to assume that a family who does not want to vaccinate, that, you know, that everybody is because of like COVID mm-hmm. is wrong, right? So there are families that have had personal experience with a family member that had, you know, some sort of disease process that they think maybe was caused by a vaccine. Usually that's not the case, but that's where their belief system is coming from, right? And so there's some that have just done their own reading and they're just maybe confused by, by the science. And so for me, I always tell our learners, you know, you have to listen to your families. The only way that you're going to partner with them is that you understand where the foundation of, of their belief system is at so that then you can do the education and the explaining mm-hmm. based on where they're starting from to then determine if they right. decide that they want, you know, want to vaccinate. Because I've had several families that have come in and they don't want to vaccinate at all. And then when I find out that they're just kind of anxious about the baby getting too many at once or doing something, I can work with these families to get that child vaccinated on a timeline that's acceptable to them and to me. And we've been successful in that. But Mm -hmm. if I don't know the underlying reason of why they're not vaccinating, I'm not going to be successful trying to convince them. And that's so interesting to me because it's, you know, the world of medicine is is such a facts and Mm -hmm. statistics and, you know, you're, you're focused on all of these things. And yet to be effective, you've also got to have this ability to communicate, which comes from a whole different part of the brain, I imagine, you know. And, and so not every doctor has gone through the speech and debate curriculum, you know, where you're going to have to be trying to convince somebody of something that they are very hesitant to be convinced of. Uh, and so it requires a really broad skill set and maybe more so than it used to be uh, as a physician. Is that accurate? That is very accurate. You know, and it's funny, I at the Health Science Center, I've taken on, I've, I'm doing a lot of teaching with residents on both team building and professionalism. And a big part of, and I'm now teaching the medical students and residents in every department, these sort of areas. And mm-hmm. so from a professionalism standpoint, I really sort of talk about the importance of the communication and listening because I think as physicians we're we're apt to just say, well, this is our this right. is what this is what we want, and this is the only way that it can be, um, and this is the science, and that's it. But if you're going to really get buy-in from patients or families, you got to listen. And that's a bedside manner thing. I mean, it is. Everybody's had the physicians that are just very factual mm-hmm. and and don't get along well with the patients, and but you've got to do that in right. order to convince a parent. Mm-hmm. 
I wonder if uh, if you think just about, you know, maybe to take a broader perspective about this area, uh, about your career in pediatrics and, and some of the things that you're thinking about over the next few years, like what comes to mind? Do, do you think this fallout from the vaccination hesitancy will be something we're dealing with for quite a while? I mean, are there more elements of accessibility and childhood obesity and, and different issues that you're starting to think about over the next five to 10 years? Definitely accessibility in Amarillo is kind of an issue that I'm really tackling right now. You know, we we're always um, with our specialists that we have here. Um, you know, it's always enticing to go to a larger program because there's more of them. Right. right? Um, and so it's always challenging to have a specialist that maybe is the only one in Amarillo and then has to be on call all the time. And from a work-life standpoint, it's very challenging for some of these physicians. And so I've tried to be really creative in my thought process of how do we partner with some of these larger children's hospitals in these other communities that, you know, can they help us with call, even though they're not in the same city? Can they can they send providers that can really partner with us? Um, because I would love to see children stay in Amarillo yeah. and not have to travel outside. Um, of of our city, but that's going to take some planning. You know, um, it's providing access in the in, in, with these other new clinics. It's trying to figure out of, of of specialists. It's I've thought about you know can we at some point can we have a children's hospital in Amarillo? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean they they have it in in Lubbock. They have got one in Lubbock. Why can't we have one here? And so the sky's the limit for me and what I would do for children. Um, and so always sort of having sort of that that vision of what's next is kind of always at the forefront of my mind of what else can we do for the children in this community. This episode is supported by Amarillo Hearing Clinic, Amarillo's home for diagnostic hearing health care services and formerly known as Ormson Hearing. The doctors of audiology at Amarillo Hearing Clinic focus on the diagnosis and treatment of all kinds of hearing disorders, working with each patient to develop an individualized plan. And they see patients of all ages, from birth to end of life, and treat them like family. My mom spent her career in deaf education, so I've spent a lot of time within that community, and I know how much technology has advanced when it comes to hearing aids, to testing and treating hearing loss. Amarillo Hearing Clinic is the local expert in that technology, from hearing aids to hearing healthcare. You can contact them today at 806-468-4343 or visit amarillohearing.com. That's amarillohearing.com. This episode of Hamarillo is also supported by SKP Creative. And I asked the team there what they wanted to communicate. And they want to remind listeners that the May election is coming up here in Amarillo. The entire city council and the position of mayor is on the ballot. There are also seats open for the AISD school board, the Canyon School Board, Amarillo College Board of Regents. Uh, it's a lot. Election day is May 6th, but early voting is underway now this week through Friday, April 28th, and then again on Monday and Tuesday, May 1st and May 2nd. Y'all, local elections are decided by turnout, and this election will determine the direction of Amarillo, especially our city government, so I really hope you'll vote. I'm definitely voting this week. Thanks again to SKP Creative, online at skpcreative.com. Okay, I'm back with Dr. Shannon Herrick. Shannon, this is part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. 
It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes at least hundreds of plant fossils, including the fossilized trunks of palm trees that flourished here 290 million years ago. Um, so there's the humid climate that we used to have, um, but that was gone by the time you came here from San Antonio. Uh, it would have been cool to have palm trees yes. in Amarillo. Uh, you can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, I, I I know we've talked about this in terms of the uh, the pediatrics world, but when you think of Amarillo, the community, you know, 10 years from now, what do you hope for? So I hope for continued growth. You know, I think we're right now we've got so many different uh, new businesses that are coming into town. Um, it's exciting to sort of see all this new growth that's coming. I hope that we continue to grow Amarillo in that time. Um, just recently, my daughter is a senior in high school, and so we're exploring different colleges mm-hmm. and going to different cities. And we went to Waco to look at Baylor, and um, we looked at that whole Magnolia uh, area that the Gaines um, – have put together and really impressive. Um, I would love to see something like that in Amarillo, you know, areas with outdoor shopping, Mm -hmm. you know, outdoor, whether it's food trucks or um, just outdoor space. I know the wind sometimes is a detriment to doing some of these outdoor areas, but I would love to sort of see that sort of growth in, in Amarillo to have you know, locations that we can go to and enjoy being outside together. Mm-hmm. Um, because except for spring, the weather is beautiful here. When the wind is not blowing, you can't beat it. And Agreed. So, and so I would love to just see some, you know, areas like that um, kind of increase in prominence here in the community. And um, I, I mean, I think that that would be a nice addition to our mm-hmm. area. Okay. Other than the wind, what does this area have too much of? I think we have too too many people actually in this community that that are are happy just the way like Amarillo has always been. And mm-hmm. I would love to see the community kind of embrace the changes that are coming. You know, I think that there's been hesitancy when we did, you know, the baseball field. Right. And at, man, that has been an amazing addition to this community. Um, there was hesitancy with the vet school. Um, and I work right next to the vet school, and yeah. I love the partnership that we've had. And so um, I would love to see Amarillo kind of open its eyes and be open to change and be open to growth, because I think that that, again, the sort of the sky's the limit here um, of potential as we grow. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot of fear um, whether it's fear that Amarillo might change in negative ways or just fear of this is we've never done this before. We didn't need this big fancy baseball stadium, you know, uh, and I, I hate for fear to hold us back from something cool. And, and I've always heard and, and this ties into you being a pediatrician that like having a child is the most optimistic thing you can do. I, I feel like if I think about it as what I need versus thinking about what are my kids going to need or what are my grandkids going to want to keep them here? Like, that's what makes me think, all right, let's do that. Let's let's move forward. Uh, agreed. Agreed. What does this area not have enough of? So pediatric specialists. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> you're sure, working on But it. I'm working on that. And then uh, this is kind of a, I mean, I would love to see sort of, I love farm to table restaurants. Yeah. So utilizing, you know, um, farms and gardens and, and um, fresh vegetables and all the things. And so I would love to see more restaurants mm. that could embrace embrace that. Um, I sure would go there. Um, I think that Amarillo has a tendency to have a lot of chain restaurants. And I would love, love, love to see more of the farm to table and more outdoor seating, you okay. know, at different 
locations. Yeah, we've, we've got more than we used to have. We, we definitely do. Yes. But absolutely. Yes. What's the most underrated thing about living in Amarillo? Uh, the people. So I think that that has been um, probably what has brought me the most joy is the people that I have have met in Amarillo. I think that, you know, we kind of always, people, when they hear about Amarillo, we say, well, it's flat and there's no trees and the wind. And I'm like, but you can't beat the people. Yeah. I mean, that my, my parents um, moved from San Antonio about three years ago. We moved them from San Antonio really? up here. Okay. Had lived in as San a place to retire to, yes, and uh, to be closer to me as yeah. as they got older, and um, you know, there was a lot of hesitancy. They lived in in San Antonio for fifty years. My mom's a, owned a beauty salon there, and my dad's a salesman, and so um, they were hesitant to move to Amarillo, and they could not have loved this community more mm-hmm. in the sense of their neighbors have taken care of them. They've just gotten uh, plugged in and they're retired and, and I love it for them. Yeah. And so um, that has been really fun to watch. But I mean, all the people I work with, I, you know, I could not ask for an, a better group of individuals that I work with every day. And then also just the people that I interact with outside of work. Okay. What's your favorite local coffee shop? So I would say my, the new one that um, that is probably my favorite is Strata. And Out by the medical center. Yes, and it's right by the medical center um, and right across from the two hospitals. It's like a hidden gem. Um, you know, I, I like to pull in there and, and get a coffee before I go into work. But uh, several times we'll have like meetings just to get outside of the medical center mm-hmm. or my office and, and go there. And it's cozy and the people are super friendly that work there. Yeah, it's a really nice atmosphere there. It is. I like it. Yep. Okay, what's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? So I have to say that Six Car Pub is probably one of my favorite uh, places for just a casual meal and outdoor seating. Yeah, uh, we went there this weekend for brunch. They have really a, great brunch. They have an amazing brunch, like all the food. If you have not tried the chicken and waffles, like it's fantastic. Um, and so I really enjoy going there. Okay, what's your favorite local neighborhood? So I have to, I probably have two. Um, I really enjoy walkways. I love walking Mm -hmm. my dogs. Um, And so in in the past, uh, we lived in the greenways and I love, love, love that area and just how pretty the walkways are there. And the colonies have done a great job as well of just providing those walking paths. And so you get to see friendly neighbors and I've really enjoyed both of those uh, neighborhoods for that reason. Okay. Yeah. When was the last time you visited Paladero Canyon? So sadly, it's probably been about two years. We went a ton during mm-hmm. the pandemic yeah. when we had we couldn't go anywhere else um, and did a lot of hiking down there. Um, it's beautiful down there. I mean, what a hidden gem yeah. for this area. Speaking of walking paths, yes. some good ones there. Yes. Um, we actually talked about going this weekend, and then our kids' activities didn't allow us to go, but we like to go mm-hmm. um, a couple times in spring or summer. Um, we also like to go see Texas down yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, okay. Well, Shannon, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So, what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? I would like to endorse the arts in okay. Amarillo. Um, so, both of my daughters dance for Lone Star Ballet. Right. Um, so, I'm obviously partial to that, but they do a beautiful job of um, multiple performances throughout the year. Um, of course, Nutcracker is the one that most people talk about, but they're about to do Alice in Wonderland um, in the next couple of weeks. Um, but they usually do several great shows um, a year. 
I also, I mean, I went and saw Cinderella um, for ALT. Mm-hmm. I think for a little theater, they do a phenomenal job of just really putting top-notch performances out, you know, to the community. Um, and then the symphony. I mean, could you ask for better? I, I mean, I think that literally, I mean, I... Me growing up in a in a in a big city, I mean, I, I didn't go utilize probably the arts as much as I should have when I lived there. But um, now I really appreciate sort of all all of the arts that that Amarillo um, offers, and um, you know, I would hope that more people would go enjoy them because I think they do a great job. Okay, Shannon Herrick, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Dr. Shannon Herrick for the interview. You can learn more about her or about the new clinic in Southwest Amarillo at texastechphysicians.com. Thanks also to Angelina Marie for editing this episode and to sponsors Amarillo Hearing Clinic, SKP Creative, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the show. Don't forget, Hey Amarillo 300th episode live show is May 5th. Friday, May 5th. It's coming right up. Tickets are available today at heyamarillo.live. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Katie Linker, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Cindy Graham, Patrick Burns, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 297. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.